All right, so for our sermon today, uh, first I want to start off with a quick story. When my wife and I were about to get engaged, well, no, let's start in the beginning. We met, and um, early on in one of our first dates, um, I told Anne we went to a Christian college, and so I told her, I was like, listen, Anne, uh, I'm not going to be one of these people who gets married right after college, definitely not in college, right? No ring by spring is going to happen here. If you went to Christian college, you understand that very well. Um, and so I was just like letting her know. It's like, okay, we're not, this is not going to be us. We're going to have a more uh, normal story than this. Sorry if you were a ring by spring person. It's great. I love your marriage. Um, but I just knew I, I wouldn't. And as a joke, Anne said, okay, Pedro, you have eight years. And we dated for seven and a half years. So I think technically she still owes me six months at some point. Um, but... Um, we dated for a long time, and towards the end of our not being engaged, I went to Anne and said, okay, Anne, this is going to happen. We're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to make this a thing. We're going to go forward. Uh, get ready, because I'm going to make you my wife. And as soon as I said this, she freaked out. I don't know if she's here. I don't see her. Maybe she's over there. She freaked out and was like, well, hold on, hold on. I don't know if I want this anymore. And so, like, seven and a half years, or seven years at that point. And um, I was like, okay, uh, I'll hold off for a few months. Get yourself ready, because we're going to get married. And so we waited. We had, I think it was two months, but I'm not sure. I was like, okay, I won't do it for two months. We'll talk. Uh, and then at the end of those, we'll see how it's going. We're married. And um, so it worked out positively. But I just wanted to drop that story in there, keep it in your head. It's a little deposit, and we'll come back to it later. Uh, today, like I said, is Palm Sunday. Today is the beginning of our Holy Week. Today is all the metaphors that we have, especially in American society, are not good enough. In my head, I say it's the Super Bowl of the Christian faith, but that's so pathetic because it's so much more than that. Uh, it is, it's our Holy Week. Today marks the day that Jesus, like Gloria said, marched triumphantly into Jerusalem and towards the cross. Um, really, every moment of his life here with us, the cross was before him. His first breath and the cross was in front of him. Uh, Ephesians tells us that before all the foundations of the world were set, God's plan was in, was in place. The cross was in front of Jesus from the moment God and his trinity started to form everything. And so he had his mind made up, but this week we celebrate that Jesus was obedient till the point of death, marching into Jerusalem, knowing that in a week's time, he would have been dead and resurrected. And so this week is really important in the rhythm of our annual reevaluating of our faith, of making it really real to us. That in a week's time, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, the King of Kings, the one who spoke everything into being, will face the cross on all of its humiliation and all of its pain. He'll face it willingly because of his love for us and his obedience to the Father. And so today in Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday is rooted in a prophecy from Zechariah 9. We'll put it up on the screen uh, it talks about how the Savior will come riding a donkey into Jerusalem. 
and how the daughters of Zion will shout aloud. It says, O daughters of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the fowl of a donkey, not gold. Last year we preached uh, a more traditional Palm Sunday passage on Luke 19, and I just want to say that because it's up on our YouTube if you want to go hear what Palm Sunday really is, but this year, uh, because I, I like love the breadth of Scripture, and I want us to be formed as a people to know, understand all of what the Gospels mean for us in our lives, we're going to go about it at a, a little bit of a different approach, and we're going to lean on, we're going to read a lot of Scripture today, but we're going to lean on Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is this incredible story, incredible Bible book um, about Jesus. And I wanted to read the first three verses in Hebrews chapter 1. It says this, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So he starts off, first two verses... He starts off talking about how Jesus is above all of the other prophets, all of the ways that God has talked to his people, formed the world, everything. Jesus is being set on top of that. And verse 3 says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by word, the word of his power. After making a purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the radiance and the imprint. The picture here of radiance is that like the Father is the Son, and Jesus is the warmth that comes out, is what gives everything light, what makes sense of everything, what takes us out of darkness, that Jesus is like the radiance. Whenever you ever, you're like, in a, especially a day like today, you're in the shade and it's really cold. You step into the sun and you feel the warmth. You don't just see that God is here, but you feel him. That's what Jesus is for us. He is the rays that come out of the Father for us to know him and see him and experience God, to feel the pleasure of being a part of God. All right, but not just that, he is the imprint. The picture here in the, in the Greek is that he is the signet ring. You know, in olden times, uh, if you watch a lot of British shows where you would write a letter and then you would put the wax and you would put that seal on it, that's the picture of what Jesus is, the, the print of God here on, us, on earth for us to see that he carried God's power and the Father's power and authority here. He is the exact imprint of the Father for us to see God, to know what he would do if he was one of us because he came and he did all of that. That's like the story of the Gospels, that God was coming after all of the world, and he sent himself to do that. And I just love how Hebrews start this story. And I want to lean on this as we read from another part of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. And if you could stand for the reading of God's word, this is our organizing passage for this week. We stand just as an act of reverence for what the Lord is telling us. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, verses 1 and 3. And it says this, Therefore, since we were surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. First two verses. Let's pray. Join me. Lord, uh, again, you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. I pray that none of the words that I say today just come from my own heart, my own imagination, but deeply rooted out of what I've heard you say and what your scriptures say for all time. Oh, Lord, that Jesus, you are the imprint and the radiance of the Father, that you came to be with us and to make a way for us to be with you. And Lord, like we're going to say today, that uh, your proposal to everyone who ever lives is that you want to be so intimately bound with us that you marry your church. And so, Lord, I thank you. Let us uh, hear the joy that was set before you, uh, that made you endure the cross. Love you. We serve you. We want to hear from you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. All right. So for this year's Easter organizing passage, we're going to preach a sermon. It's a two-parter. So really, instead of being up here for three hours, I will divide it in half and preach the second half of it next week. And so come back if you want to hear the whole sermon. Uh, but the whole point of today, of our Easter message for this year, is that there was this joy that was set before Christ that made him endure the cross. That there was something in front of him that made everything that he went through, right, not just the physical, yes, all the beatings and the mockery and being spat on and his body actually being broken for us. But then on, on top of that, everything spiritual that he went through, the father turning his back on him, him becoming a curse for all of humanity, for all time to pay the price for all of us, right, that's what Easter is about that Jesus died for all of us. Good Friday, we celebrate. We say that it's good because he died for all of our benefit. But there was this joy that was set before him. And though there are many answers to what that joy is, one of the ones that I love the most and I think is the, one of the most rooted in the whole of the New Testament story is that Jesus was here on earth to do one thing, and it was to build his church and propose to it. That Jesus came here to bring the church to this earth in humanity and be its husband. That one of the joys that made him endure the cross was that he got to marry his bride. And it allowed him to listen to the Father and do everything that he did. That Jesus' three years of public ministry was him bringing the church and proposing to it declaring his intentions and making it obvious that he wanted one thing, the church's heart. And that Jesus organized so much of his ministry, one of the most like overarching themes in everything that he did was that he followed the uh, engagement proposal activities of the Jewish custom. And he did that for us and this is something that the Holy Spirit sprinkled throughout the New Testament story. And we're going to read some of those passages today. There were four main parts to how a man married a woman in the Israelite culture in the day. So in this week and in next week, we're going to talk about a room. Well, first, a price. And then we're going to talk about a room. And then we're going to talk about a party. 
And lastly, we're going to talk about a knock. And so let's start with the price. The first part of the ceremony went like this. How a man married a woman in Jesus' day was that when a man who was about the age of 30, right, Luke 3, I think, pretty sure it's Luke 3, says that Jesus was about 30, which is not the Bible being cute. It's like, oh, he was about 30. No, but it's like this precise legal term. He says that he was about 30 years old, which means that that was the age that a man was able to go and start his own family. Right? It's just like little, little detail that is so beautiful because Jesus was about the age of 30, meaning that he no longer had any obligations to his, to Joseph and Mary, and he could start his own family. Right? Jesus waited until he was about the age of 30 to start his public ministry because his ministry was that he was marrying the church. And then one, once a man found someone that he wanted to marry, it was a little creepy because there was a big age difference, uh, but it was normal back then. Not, I'm glad we're not there anymore. Uh, but when a man found a woman that he wanted to marry, what he did was he went and got his father. And with his father, he went to her father, and they started to talk about money. The first thing was the price. The first thing was two fathers sitting together and uh, doing two things. The uh, bride's father was trying to get as much as humanly possible and the husband, the groom's father, was trying to pay a good price without insulting, but not praying more than they actually had to. And so there was this back and forth, back and forth, this many sheep, this many goats, this many mu much money, this much whatever, whatever they had. And it was back and forth. And it was also this public thing. People were around them, right? I know to us as Americans, that's not like that already is crazy because why would you ever talk about money or like that in front of other people, let alone like setting up a marriage, but it happened in front of people. And, the, and there was this great show. Everyone knew how to do it. They were like showmen at the time, like, oh, like my daughter is worth this amount of sheep. Oh my, oh yes, she is. I know that she is, but I'm going to give you this much and, and this much. And back and forth they went and they negotiated this price back and forth. And one, they came to a price that both parties agreed, again, in front of everyone. The groom would stand up in front of everyone, the woman there too, and he would declare his love for her. And he would say, oh, I think that you are the most beautiful person I have ever seen. I have paid X amount of sheep for you. I give your father X amount of goats for you. I will give them X amount of uh, the money that they use. I forget right now. It's like, I I'll give that all because I love you and I want to be with you. He would do this in front of everyone. And it sort of sounds like what Paul was inspired to write in 1 Corinthians 6. When Paul was talking about sexual morality, he puts this in. He says, starting in verse uh, 18 of 1 Corinthians 6, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the, sexual immorality, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. One of the most interesting things about the engagement period was that after this price was set, the woman's name would change. 
And if she wouldn't in this season go by the name that she had her whole life and will after the marriage, but her new name becomes bought with a price. This is a legal term. This is a term that the Holy Spirit brings up again when talking about sexual sin because we have been bought with a price. That is who we are. That is what the church's name is. We are people who have been spoken for, who have been paid for. We have this father who, in front of all the world, said, you know what? I love what I created so much that I will not just pay the least amount that I can. I will give my most precious thing, my son's life for the church. For anyone who will hear what Christ did and agree with it in their hearts and say, Jesus, you died for me. You paid my price that I could not. Then you join his bride because you have been bought with a price that everyone who has ever lived has been bought with a price. That is the story of a father who loves his son's bride so much that he gave the most valuable thing that he could ever give, his son. That he let his son be beaten and mocked and put to shame and be killed because he loved his son's bride so much. And so the, G, the invitation of Easter is one into proposal, is one into, you know what, the father did everything that he could to make sure that his bride was paid for, to make sure that there would be nothing that would ever separate his son from his son's bride ever again. That's the Easter message. And so for us this week, as we approach Easter Sunday, uh, if you will give the Lord time, and again, that's an if, because many of us might get to next Sunday and realize we did not give God a second thought, but if you spend time with the Lord every day until Easter, uh, hear this, hear him saying, the Father, my son loves you. I paid for you with his blood. There is nothing that will separate you from him ever again. You are loved. And so in your devotion time with the Lord today, wrestle with accepting yourself to understand that you are loved perfectly. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. That if you are a part of his church, you are spoken for in all of the good ways, in all of the lovely ways, in every way that's romantic and pretty and nice, you have a husband who can't wait to be with you. And that brings us to the next part of the engagement period, where I'm calling it uh, a room. Where Jesus was from in the Galilee region, the next part, after the price was paid for, after the negotiations were finished, there would be this long extended period of waiting. Right, if you had a long engagement, uh, that was normal in Jesus' day. I was only, we were only engaged for six months, and that already felt like way too long for me. I don't know how some people do multiple years of being engaged. That's crazy to me. Um, but sure, that's great. If you need to, that's, that's fine. So after, in Jesus' area, in the Galilee area at the time, a man would leave the uh, bride, or the soon-to-be bride, the woman who is now called, paid, uh, bought with a price, and he would go to make their home. 
he would leave to prepare a room, their home, and in the Galilee region, it went like this. It went like he would go back to his father's house, and he would literally, out of stone, build another room on the side of his parents' house. Right? He would go, and he would spend a year or two or three getting all of their money set, getting their whole room ready, getting their everywhere that they will be most intimate with, where they will, all, will only be them two living together in their home, and they would live there when the marriage came. That kind of sounds like what Jesus said in John 14, verses 1 and 3, where he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may, also, you may be also. Right? This isn't Jesus just saying something to be clever in the moment. This is him making his intentions very clear to everyone in that culture who knew exactly what he was saying. His intentions was to marry the church. His intention was that I will go and prepare a place for you in my father's home where you will never again be taken away from me. And not only just that, but I will be intimate with you in this place. Is that I will have the deepest of human relationship possible with you in our new home. The Easter is again Jesus proposing to the church, to the whole world to join his bride. He, like, not only was he willing to pay the price, but he goes out and makes this intimate place for us to be. And so, yeah, as we gather, even right now here, we are celebrating the marriage of Christ, right? In Ephesians, Paul talks about how uh, a husband and a wife is the mystery of Christ's marriage to the church. So even as we gather, there's like something happening right here that is deeply tied to how we are all proposed to him at the, at the same time, that the capital C church waits for our groom to come back. And this week, as we prepare for Holy Week, for Easter Sunday next week, like remind yourself this week of what you are walking towards. It's not just Jesus's cross, but his resurrection and his promises that he's right now making room for us in his father's house. Right? This is actually where we are all at right now. We are waiting. We're all in this period of this waiting, waiting for when he comes back, waiting for when this marriage is uh, fulfilled. We are in this period of waiting for our husband to come back, to bring us with him so that we can share the rest of eternity with him. It's like even crazy to be able to talk about. And then the next part, after the room, we're just going to go for it, we have time, is that a party comes. After the room is set, after where the most intimate place is built, after Jesus gets our rooms ready for us in the Father's house in heaven, a party begins. In the ceremony, when everything was just ready, usually the bride lived in another city, 
the man would get everyone in his family and all of his bridal groomsmen, and they would go over to where she lived, and the second that he, stu he stepped foot into her town, one of, someone in his party sounded a giant horn. And that kind of sounds like 1 Thessalonians 4, 6. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I, uh, that's not, if you don't know that this is deeply involved with how a man married a woman in Jesus' day, then like, learn that today and never forget it, that when Jesus comes back, the first sign of his return will be this trumpet sound that everyone on earth will hear because the wedding is about to begin, because the party is about to come, because all of human history is, mar is headed towards this one marriage ceremony of the, the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelations. As soon as we all hear, like sometimes when I hear a really loud noise or a car accident, I look around because like, was that a horn or was that not? Um, it's funny, I know. I read too much of, well, no, that sounds stupid. Um, but I just like can't wait. Like that should be the noise that all of us for our whole lives are looking forward to hear a trumpet that we like, oh my goodness, is the end finally here? Because Jesus' return will be public, it will be evident, it won't be hidden, and everyone on the face of the earth will be able to know if you hear a trumpet that is coming from the skies, the wedding's about to begin. And so practically for Easter, for us this year, it means that like, we are people that expect him to come back. Right? If you're living your lives like he is not coming back, then let this Easter teach you he's coming back. He's coming back because he's coming back for his bride. Because he is coming back to bring his bride to go and live in his home with him. And so after this trumpet horn starts, normally a seven-day party would begin. A seven-day party of celebration of the union of this man and this woman would begin. And uh, just as a uh, side note, uh, no one ever got drunk at this, so don't let Jesus' partying say that we can do whatever we want in partying. Even partying has its limitations. But there would be this seven-day long party, and the whole purpose of that would be the union of this man and this woman, this marriage that is taking place that God has set up, and then they would just party until the most beautiful time of this whole ceremony happened. Uh, and we're calling it a knock. At the end of this seven-day party, the bride would secretly be taken into her new home. Right? The party would be taking place where her new home would be, where the groom's father lives. And at the end of the party, they would take her and put her in there, and by herself, in this intimate moment, she would look around her new home for the first time, her home where she would be living with her husband, with her love, with the one who paid the price for her, who spent years preparing this for her, for the one who, like, she has been waiting for for her whole life. And then the groom notices that she's not there anymore. He looks around, and he sees that she's not there, and he knows, okay, the party's ending. Let's do the last part of the ceremony. And so the husband would lead the whole party to this room, to their new home. And he would do one thing. He would knock on the door. He would knock and he would say, if anyone can hear my voice, let me in 
and I will be with you. And she doesn't say a word. That's part of the sermon. He knocks a second time and says, if there is anyone in here, let me in and I will be with you. And she says nothing. And then a third time, he knocks on the door and he says again how much he paid for her, how much he loves her, how much he has prepared for her, how he has built this home for her. He pledges his love and fidelity to her. And then he says, if anyone is in this room and hears my voice, let me come in there and I will be with you. That sounds an awfully lot like Revelations 3.20. That says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus' words in Revelation to John. All of what Jesus did on this earth somehow linked to him setting up his church and proposing to her. Everything that Jesus did here was him making his intentions clear that he loves his church, that all are welcome to join his church if they hear his story and say yes to this marriage proposal. Because God wishes that all would hear this story and accept and that none would perish. And so everything that Jesus did from making all of this to stepping into it, to living his life until he was about 30 where he could start his own family, to Revelations 3 when he says, let me in. I'm knocking on the door. I want to be with my bride. And so that is the Easter message that we have for today. The worship team can come up. We're going to worship this Jesus who had one thing in mind when he was here, was to propose and marry the one that he loves. And so this Easter Sunday, I challenge us, all of us in here, to wonder if we are first, if we have heard the story and said yes to this proposal. That Jesus wants to spend the rest of eternity with you because he loves you. That he was willing to go to the cross on Good Friday and lay up his life so that no one could ever take his bride from him again. And that the promise from then on out, because he was resurrected, right? If Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, then this would all be meaningless, just a pretty story. But how he did rise from the dead, and he promises that nothing will ever separate his bride from him again. And as we're in this season of waiting, please allow your hearts this week to realize that he's coming back for you, that he's coming back for us, that he's coming back for the capital C global church, that everyone who ever hears his name, who hears his story and accepts that and says that he is Lord, will be with him forever in marriage for the rest of time. And so let that sink into your heart this week. Next Sunday, we will come and we will celebrate that he resurrected, that this is all true and that he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. So let's worship him, and then Carla will come and close us out. Let's rise as we worship the King this morning.